Uh, this is John Young from Life Signs, and you're listening to Michael's Record Collection. Hello, and welcome to episode number 32 of Michael's Record Collection. I'm your host, Michael Citro, and for this episode, I spoke with John Young, keyboard player and vocalist for the progressive rock band Life Signs. Life Signs just released their third studio album, Altitude, and for my money, it's the band's best album yet. Prog rock fans and fans of melodic rock in general should enjoy it. John's a gifted musician who plays in Bonnie Tyler's band, and he's worked with other heavy hitters like the Scorpions and Asia. It was great catching up with John and learning a bit about Altitude. Before I get to the interview, just wanted to invite you to support the show Check us out on patreon.com slash Michael's Record Collection. For as little as $2 a month, you can support independent podcasting. That's uh, less than 50 cents per episode. And that's only if you just do the podcast. If you watch the videos and read the newsletter, well, you're getting even more value. And the more you support the show, the more value you get. So just check it out, patreon.com slash Michael's Record Collection. And uh, no pressure. Anyway, let's get to that interview with John Young. Here we go. All right, welcome to Michael's Record Collection. We're talking to John Young from the band Life Signs. And of course, John's done a lot of other things that we will be talking about uh, in this interview. So, uh, John, thank you for your time today. Oh, you're more than welcome, Michael. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Brand new album out this year, Altitude from Life Signs. The band's third album came out a little earlier this year. This is the first one that you've recorded remotely. Is that correct? (laughs) <laughs> yes uh, need, needs must it was uh covid related i guess you could say but um yeah everyone recorded it in that we, ha- we had a, a rehearsal a rehearsal recording studio that we worked in and there was really no point in keeping it on during these times so um everyone worked at home and um we mixed steve's everyone has different setups but they all kind of worked together so it wasn't too bad so the the self-titled uh, debut came out 2013 you had an album called cardington out in 2017 and now altitude and the first life signs album was uh, very progressive uh, it, it seems that that cardington and altitude are, are more closely aligned and i was curious if that's because you feel that life signs is, is now finding its it's sort of its place its voice yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think also with the first one, we actually went out of our way to make a prog album. Um, I think uh, we'd, we'd actually been, Life Science started as a bet in a pub where somebody just turned around and said, I said something about I didn't think in the mid 2000s that, that um, or, you know, 2005, six, whatever, there were that many new unique prog bands around. And somebody said, well, if you think you can do any better, and it was red rag to a bull time, and we kind of kicked off from there. Um, I have to say now, there's a plethora of great bands around. It's it's fabulous time. Um, but at the time, it seemed a little, you know, like we're treading water a bit. And so we decided to bring a prog album out. But really, I suppose over the years, my writing has um, generally been a bit of everything. You know, there's been a bit of pop um, and, you know, slightly more commercial stuff. Um, we ventured into that with John Wetton for a while and um, I think also there's always I've always loved jazz rock and jazz fusion so with the new album we do a bit of that too 
and with Zoltan joining some drums, you know, he's very proficient in those areas. So <laughs> it was just really a natural, a natural thing. Yeah. I've seen some interviews with you from earlier in the year, and I have to ask, have you yet had a chance to meet Zoltan? No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we only just last week we met uh, our backing singer Lindsay Ward, who's absolutely brilliant, and we went to see her band Exploring Birdsong in London, and it was really funny because we never met, but it was just we just grinned and hugged because it was just great to see each other and finally get the COVID thing out of the way. So I'm hoping it will be the same with Zoltan. We're due to see him in November, uh, obviously prior to uh, when we're doing the rehearsals before we do the shows. So. If everything goes according to plan, and obviously everything is a big if these days, but if it all goes according to plan, then we, we should see him in November, and I'm really looking forward to that. All right, let's talk about the personnel from Life Science. Uh, John Young, yourself on keyboards and vocals. You've got Dave Bainbridge on guitars and keyboards. John Poole on bass. Uh, Zoltan, I'm I'm terribly sorry. I, I don't even know if I can attempt to pronounce his last name. Can you help me with that? <laughs> yes, Chess. Sure. Okay. Um, who uh, a lot of progressive rock fans will know from the Flower Kings, uh, yeah. and uh, Steve Rispin is is labeled um, on your site as as a band member for of sound and production. Uh, can you give us a little bit about Steve's role? Yeah. Well, Steve and I have worked together for oh, over twenty years now, and um, or about twenty years. Um, and we became uh, a unit in a way because he knows how I think. And I decided that, um, you know, he was very good at understanding the music that I write. Um, and we became very good friends. And born from that, we worked together in the John Young Band. And uh, when we actually put the band together, I, I just thought it's pointless, you know, Steve being somebody else. He's part of the band, you know, and that's what we did. So, and Steve is, you know, along with myself, is, you know, found a member of the band, which is great. Uh, works really, really well. And I think, you know, from just just having that confidence, you know, we go into venues and venues say to us when we finish, that's the best I've ever heard a band sound in here. So, you know, you're going to do that. We have our own mixing desk. We have our own setups. We do. I mean, it's a lot of work. And um, Steve, bless him, you know, actually puts that together and makes it happen. Uh, we are starting to take on more crew now because... Well, I think we're growing. So it's, you know, it's one of those things now where we've gone from playing pubs to, you know, to gradually working through to being, um, you know, sort of slightly higher up the hierarchy, shall we say. So it's good. <laughs> All right, great. Um, you mentioned Lindsay on backing vocals. There are strings on this album. Who, who else appeared on this album? Uh, Juliet Wolf played cello on the album, um, and she's the daughter of uh, a very good friend of mine, Michael Wolf, who runs a very lovely studio on the banks of the Thames in London and um, Michael is just the most lovable character brilliant musician um, well just a gorgeous human being and um, when I mentioned that we needed cello Juliet is is you know basically a virtuoso so uh, he said we'll we'll do that so we went down to the studio and Steve and I and, and we recorded Ju Juliet it was wonderful <laughs> also um, yeah, we have Peter Knight from from well, originally from Steel Eye Span, who plays violin, or as he calls it, fiddle, at the end of um, at the end of Altitude, uh, which again is very, um, you know, I think it's it's a beautiful moment. Um, I think they've both given us exceptional bits of work, and um, I hope the listener agrees. Yeah.
how did you cross paths with with some of the members of the band? Uh, let's start with Dave Bainbridge. Um, well, I know you want to start with Dave, but I think what I should say is is it's life science has been fluid because of the very nature of everybody involved in it. You know, um, the first two albums didn't have um, a regular guitarist as such, and you know we went from a situation. I think we had three guitarists. Uh, there was Steve Hackett um, uh, played on the first one. Robin Bolt's been on all three. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Nico Sonov was amazing. Um, but everyone has other stuff to do. It's like when we did the first album, Nick Beggs played bass on the first album, but he was already working with Stephen Wilson and Steve Hackett. So you can't just turn around and say, well, you've got to do this as well. You know, I mean, we all kind of have day jobs working for major artists. So uh, John John Paul works for Dr. Hook. I work for Bonnie Tyler. Steve works for Yes and Steve Hackett. Um, you know, Dave Bainbridge works for the Straubs. Um, Zoltan does all sorts of stuff in Sweden, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I think this has been the way of it all the way through. And if somebody put their hands up and went, you know what, I can't do this because I've got to go and do this, then we'd find a way around it. So really it was just how people, the, the joy that we've had is that every nobody ever said no. You know, everybody wanted to do it, no matter whether they were famous or not, you know, which I thought was a great compliment to the work that we've done. And I have to say that, like, when Nick left and, and John Paul came in, it, these these parts are difficult. This is really difficult stuff that we write, that we write and play. And the, the bass players came in and they gave it a good try. And we had a number of pretty well-known names came in. And then John came in and he not only played it, but he danced around while he played it you know and then you realize that's right and when Dave Bainbridge came in you know it was just I mean the man's amazing you know I mean he's just he just breathes music so he's you know I often say when we're doing shows I mean I know I won an award a few years ago best keyboard player and all that kind of stuff but you know I'm the third best keyboard player in the band a bit like Ringo wasn't the best drummer in the Beatles you know that kind of thing so I I just revel in in the musicality of, of the people involved I'm so lucky from that point of view. All right. So when did you meet Dave for the first time? <laughs> yeah, it, well, it's, it's going back. Um, Nick Beggs mentioned to me that Dave Bainbridge would be a good idea. Um, and so this was around the time that Nico had left. We'd just done Cropperty Festival, which was the biggest gig that we'd done, which was about 60, 70,000 people. And um, he said Dave would be a really good idea. And of course, he plays keyboards. And of course, we're very heavily keyboard orientated. And um, I met up with Dave and he's just such a lovely man. Um, you know, we, we, we talked about the gig. He is something he'd really been looking to do again. And, um, you know, so these things, there's a time and a place, you know, if people are ready and that's what they would like to do, then I think it just works. And, you know, Dave has many projects. I mean, he's, in, he's got his own band, Celestial Fire. He's got solo stuff that he does. He's a workaholic. He's always doing something, but we're very fortunate that he has time to fit us in. You know, so it's great, really good. And you mentioned John um, and coming in and, and playing the bass for you. Did did you know him prior to the the audition? I guess I didn't know him, but his brother Ed plays in the Bonnie Tyler band with me. <laughs> so when we were again, it was the same thing. We were looking for bass players, and you know, we had a few people came down. I won't say who, but. Um, but then John uh, Ed said to me, "Well, well, John would be perfect for you guys." He said he just, you know, he can do all this stuff. And um, so we met John, and he's an enigma. You know, I mean, the man's amazing. And uh, in fact, off the back of that, John and Nick Beggs became quite good friends. So 
I think we've also been responsible for, for putting a lot of people together and, and, you know, making people aware of each other's work, which is mm -hmm. great. And, and you haven't met Zoltan yet, but how did, how did he <laughs> get uh, in life science? <laughs> well, I'll tell you a story about that. We, we, <laughs> um, I, I won't go into too much into the depths of it, but I'm quite a spiritual character. And um, so a lot of things are, you know, kind of meant to be and stuff happens and weird stuff happens and all that kind of thing that happens on a very regular basis. So we finished off the last gig we were doing in South End, and, and South End is kind of like um, there's amusement parks and all this kind of thing. I mean, well, I'm sorry, arcades. It's, it's very old fashioned. It's like 1950s Britain, you know, mm -hmm. and there's a pier and you can go for a ride on the, on the locomotive on the pier. And we were all a bit down because, I mean, nobody really wanted Frosty to go. And um, but he had other things he had to do. So somebody said to me why don't you go and and you know have a go on the there's a there's a the machine downstairs which is one of these old you know machines from the past that tells you your fortune so i went down i don't think it worked but it was kind of it had a big voice and it was sort of looking at you like this and you know come on i'll tell you your fortune and i don't necessarily know whether we actually got the thing to work but um the machine was called zoltan <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I didn't, I didn't know. I mean, I, we didn't twig it until afterwards. Dave said, Dave again called me and said um, that he knew Zoltan from the Flower Kings. He didn't actually know him as, um, you know, that that well. But might it be an idea to give uh, him a go at, at the drums? And um, so I got in touch with him. And we managed to find a way to get in touch, and um, I, it was just lovely. It was um, he kind of said he was looking for something, and. Um, then we sent this we sent the beginning of n which is on cardington to to various drummers it's not easy to do it's not an easy thing to do and most of the drummers again you know some good ones got back to us and said oh we'll get back to you in a couple of weeks you know whatever <laughs> zoltan got back to us three hours later done finished you know and i was like okay okay that works that works that's fine so that was it that's how it was born really so serendipity <laughs> yeah um, indeed I could be so much better in this empty space, in this empty space, in this empty space. So is it difficult to get the drum sound you want when you're recording uh, remotely like this? To an extent, although we have toys we can play with. Um, obviously, we have samples. If we think something isn't working well enough, um, you can always put a sample in and tune that accordingly to go with the drum, usually, that you're, you're working with. Um, I mean, fortunately, everyone's quite masterful at the way they, they record their own music. So... Basically, we get files of lots of different things. Even, I mean, Lindsay sent through the backing vocals and they were all just marvellous. I mean, we couldn't use them all, but they were all marvellous, you know. Um, and we have to be a bit, you know, 
I suppose really it's the, the difficulty with remote is it's not like being in the studio. You can't go, do you want to try that again? You know, because what you receive is given, you know. So sometimes if you say, oh, well, that didn't work for us, you know, why not? You know, <laughs> but that's how you make a better record, you know. So uh, there was a bit of that, but we're all good, good chums and we can all get on. So we generally move things to the point where we felt it worked. And Steve and I had the final say in everything. And then I think since then, um, hopefully we've been vindicated by the plaudits the album's received, you know, so that's, that's mm -hmm. all good. Are you the basic primary songwriter? Do other people contribute anything to the lyrics or anything like that? Um, I, I, sadly not. No, it's just me, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, it was, I mean, I did put this out to everybody a while back and I remember John just turned to me and said, no, that's what you do, do it, you know. And so mm -hmm. I thought, okay, if that's how we feel, then. And I, I think it also is a matter of time. You know, you have to have time to make, um, you know, to make music, to create music. And um, so that's not always the easiest thing. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, it has to be something that sounds like life songs. We, I think we have our own sound now. Um, I noticed the other week that we were put in the, um, the classic rock reviews, put us in the 10 best epics of all time. And I think, you know, when you think Close to the Edge was the first one, there was Genesis and ELP and Rush and whatever. There were only two other bands from the 2000s, and they were both from 2005 and 2006. And this was the only, this was the only one for the last 15 years with Altitude. So, you know, I think if that kind of thing is going on, you know, if we can move into that bracket, I, I mean, it's very strange for us, Michael, because we have fans in bands that we love. So we've got fans in Genesis and Yes and, you know, um, uh, ELP. Alan Parsons, Camel, Caravan, you know, we've got fans in, uh, or people, I won't say fans, people who like our music are in all those bands, mm -hmm. but getting to their fans is the hardest part. It's really, really, really difficult sure. because you just don't have that ability that you did when they were obviously recording the great records that they made, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's certainly more difficult for, for independents nowadays to get their voice out there. And, and you, yeah, you yeah. are a, I think a fiercely independent band. You crowdfund your you crowdfunded your last two records. Speaking of records, is this the first one that's available on vinyl? No, all three have been available. On They're vinyl. all available on vinyl. Do you do you yeah. write with that length in mind then? No, in fact, vinyl usually takes us by surprise because we suddenly <laughs> realise that we've written a record and it has to go on vinyl. So what do we do with that? You know, and so I think with this one, I seem to remember we took it down to playing groovy who we worked with for the last couple of records and um, and chris said to us uh, yeah it's just like three minutes too long <laughs> so so we looked at what we could do and we realized that the instrumental versions of a couple of the tracks were beautiful and so we decided to put those on we put a single edit of um you know uh, a gregarious on and i think the whole thing worked people got a bit more you know, on the vinyl because we had the four sides to play with. So it was, it was great fun. Mm. So let's talk a little bit about the uh, album itself. It starts off with the 15 minute epic altitude, the title track. Um, I had read in and seen in, in interviews with you that you had begun with sort of a phrase in mind and it reminded you of a of a drone. And, and can you just tell me a little bit about the evolution of the writing this song and the lyrics for this song? The very first part of the song I'd had for a while, for a couple, well, a couple of years, um, just the piano, the intro, um, which is a bit sort of ethereal, and then um, 
it almost found sounds as if it's submerged and then that comes into the light where the piano comes in. And I thought it was a song about how lovely, um, again, this, I write through a thing called channeling, which is a, a, a complicated process. Um, and I thought the song was about just flying. I didn't think it was about anything else. I love flying. I'm a junkie as far as aviation and all that kind of stuff is concerned. So um, as you can tell with Cardington before that probably, um, so I thought it was just about flying. And then I realized I had to finish this song. And I honestly thought it wasn't going to be much longer than the, than the, the, the phrases I'd already got. There'd probably be a little chorus and that would be that. Um, and off I went and all of a sudden um, I was in my studio and everything just arrives with channeling and you're just playing. And it went target destroyed. And I was like, what's that? What does that mean? Where does that come from? <laughs> Lit up like a Christmas tree, target destroyed. And I suddenly realized that we were talking about a drone. And with a lot of the way that I work, I have to go back and look at the music to find out what it's about afterwards because I, I don't necessarily pick it up straight away. And so I suddenly realized that this was about somebody flying a, a drone remotely from somewhere and killing people. And how did they feel? And could they have been a better person? I'm very anti-war. I, you know, I hate anything to do with violence. Uh, I think humanity should be cleverer than that by now, and it doesn't appear mm -hmm. to be. So then, that became the thread for the rest of the song. Was you know, why can't we be better people? You know, why haven't we learned? You know, I mean, we banned passive smoking because it kills it kills people, you know, uh, from cancer. Um, but we still won't stop something that shoots them dead. You know. Mm -hmm. uh, it just seemed strange to me that we should have worked maybe the other way around. You know, it might have worked better. So, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, humans are, are curious creatures at best. Um, you book just, yeah. you book in the album with a, an altitude reprise. genesis of the reprise and and why did that feel like the the right move for this album um it was weird actually because we didn't have a running order again this is strange how these things work we didn't have a running order for the album i just recorded it in that that way and i sent it to steve in the exact order that it's in now and i've done this little thing which actually lasted a lot longer originally it was about 12 minutes long originally um, but I just tuned, I just pulled it back down with and, and faded it out because it was kind of a nice way again of looking at the chorus of altitude. And I said, I think I think the order, the running order should be this. And he went, that works perfectly for me. And the idea we saw with the reprise was that the reprise kind of brings you back to the beginning of the album. So if you're that way inclined, you'll start listening to the beginning again. And mm -hmm. and that seems to be what's happened is that people listen to that and go, oh, I've got to start again. You know, so off we go. <laughs>
uh, Gregarious is the second song. It's the most accessible song on the album, um, closest thing to a pop song. But it's I have a label that I, I label certain types of pop music, which includes stuff like Talk Talk and things like that. I, I call it intelligent pop. And, yes. and I feel like this this sort of meets that. It's kind of um, a little Asia, a little Alan Parsons project, maybe that type of vein. Um, it's not expected from prog fans to, to get a song like this on an album, but it works terrifically. What was the process like for that song? Well, to be honest, since the first album, uh, this has been um, something that we've been doing. We did it on the second album, Cardington with Impossible, and a couple of the other tracks are a bit more singly. And we knew there'd have to be a single on this. And we'd already started playing Gregarious live. Um, again, you know, it's, it's a funny thing, isn't it? These days, you're not, not allowed to say intelligent pop. You know, it's just, it's <laughs> not. <laughs> I don't get that at all. I, you know, I, I'm totally with you. I mean, obviously, I was in Asia for a couple of years. I, you know, I know the Alan Parsons guys really well. In fact, Alan's daughter's a massive fan of life science, you know. So, uh, it's a lovely lady that she is and great taste, I have to say. Um, <laughs> I know. I've, I've, you know, I've seen Alan Parsons many times. I love what they do. Some of the songs are are wonderful. Um, Super Tramp is another one that I would put in that category. You know, just sure. things that things that make you think, but that are accessible on radio. I mean, the thing I find funny with with both our singles, uh, Gregarious and Impossible, is that we had to cut them down to get them to fit radio. You know, so that means that you lose a guitar solo or you lose something else. You know, mm -hmm. and it's such a, so annoying that people seem to think that something has to be a specific length, but that's the way that they work. I mean, Queen, you know, were the ultimate with Bohemian Rhapsody. You know, and really we shouldn't be that dependent on it. You know, on on that kind of thing. It should be more about the song demands a certain time. You know, yeah. and we should be open to that. So that's the way that I see it. But unfortunately needs must so occasionally yeah. have to do that no i agree with you it's uh it's insulting to the listener to think that they can't they can't hold you can't hold their attention for more than two and a half to three and a half minutes i think so mm, it's a funny thing michael because i think the industry has worked towards that the, you know the dumbing the dumbing down of music is something we could have a you know an evening's long conversation about but they definitely worked on that and I know that Robin Bolton and myself, we both went to see two completely separate record companies, major ones. And I got taken out for dinner by one. And, and I said, um, they said, well, they, we love what you do. And I said, yeah, great, but you're not going to sign it. And I said, no, of course not. <laughs> and I said, so what do you sign? And they said, anything that appeals to a four to six year old, you know. So basically, they want nursery rhymes that repeat. That's mm -hmm. the deal. Now, if you actually made that plain to, to youngsters listening to music these days, I'm sure they'd be very disgusted by the fact that that's what they're being fed but that is what they're being fed yeah so yeah. you know yeah i'm not saying there's not some good songs that can come through in all of that but you know it's it is lowest common denominator so you're not going to find you know super tramp or or Rage or alan parsons or bob dylan or neil young you know none of that stuff is going to happen in this current climate and i really think that has to change it's got to change we've got to give the younger people, you know, some credit that they've got some intelligence, you know. So. Yeah. Sure, I agree. Uh, and there's also money involved with uh, three-minute songs. You can get play more of them on the radio in an hour or two. So there's yeah, that. For all the songs sang so Love comes. 
I still remember the warmth of the sun on your golden hair. I loved you fair. Ivory Tower and and then uh, track seven, Last One Home. These are older John Young songs. Mm -hmm. What made these perfect for the new album? Why was the decision made to re-record uh, re them? And I have to say, without kissing your ass, these are my two favorite songs on the album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I don't mind. As long as you've got favorites, then I'm happy. <laughs> um, but I would say, um, well, firstly, with Ivory Tower, it was more down to Steve. Um, again, we started playing Ivory Tower live. Um, we started doing Last One Home live. And we have loads more. We have loads more from the past. Um, so what we'd been doing was bringing in songs um, that had meant something and saying, OK, we'll do a couple of those on the album and we'll do some new stuff. So like Altitude, Shoreline, um, you know, it, it's Fortitude. They're all brand new, you know. Um, and, you know, we'll extend our boundaries because I think some of the, the fusion elements of what we're doing in some of the songs are really, they're really, really pushing the limits on some of these things, you know, in, in terms of what people can play. I'm astounded by the play. But a good song is a good song, isn't it? You know, so I think something, with, again, with meaning, I mean, Ivory Tower meant a lot to me because it was about a relationship I went through that went horribly wrong. Um, and um, it's got some angst in there, which I think works quite well. Last one home. John John Wetton used to say to me years ago. He said, he said the thing about last one home was there wasn't a dry seat in the house. You know, um, and I think that is the thing. You can see, you know, you can see it gets to people, and you can see people filling up when they listen to it, especially when Dave goes into his guitar solo at the end. You know, we did it once with Quango years ago, and um, I'd written quite a few things for John over the years, and we did it with Quango and Dave Kilmister played the guitar solo on that, and you know, it's just. As somebody, I saw somebody did a review of it and it said it's one of those things where you hand it to the guitarist and the guitarist just starts rubbing his hands because he knows that's the perfect thing to have a guitar solo over. Mm -hmm. So I think it really showcases Dave's talents and the beauty of his playing. And it's you know, and the song, you know, it's, it's a good song. So that's, that's yeah. you know, why it got on. <laughs> so Ivory Tower, it starts as just this gorgeous ballad and then toward the, a uh, little bit past the halfway mark, it just kind of, kicks in the tempo what i really like about the first part is this intricate acoustic guitar part that's playing underneath this recurring sort of a chiming sounding keyboard bit how did you come up with that bit <laughs> you're asking all the right questions Mark. It's like the ch the chimes were the first time i ever channeled music so i was trying to write a song with my right hand and my left hand started playing that chime part and i looked at my left hand as if to say 
okay. And it, can you give that to the right hand, which it did, and then the rest of the song built from there. And it was the first time that a song had just arrived. And so the thing with the with working that way, with I mean, and I, you know, I say it's a longer conversation about channeling, but you never know what's going to turn up. So in the middle of the song, it turns into this other song that just became angsty and driven because mm-hmm. you know you'd, you'd failed in a relationship and you wanted to know why and you were trying to make it work and all the rest of it. Find my way And I, I think it, you know, the two sections go together really well. Robin's guitar, acoustic guitar on it is just gorgeous. In fact, it was so gorgeous. And Robin had played on all the albums that we decided, and Dave agreed, and um, thank him for that, is the part that he'd already done previously for the John Young band just, just fitted so beautifully that there was no reason to put anything else in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's what we did. So we, we put that part in. I think it's quite emotive and then as I say it's quite powerful towards the end yeah mm. well Dave got to shine on the other John Young song last one home too because the f- first part of the song it's almost like he's channeling something from yes like the soon section of, of gates the only sound is water And then it goes from yes to Pink Floyd in the in the back half of the song. It's just a, a tremendous uh, song for him. But also, I'd like to know how you achieve that that really big sound toward the end of uh, of Last What Home. Well, again, Steve's a big part of this. Um, you know, um, it for me, it's about always music has been about dynamics. You know, and I find that very very many things these days are just linear. You know, if you go and see a focus concert, then you'll learn everything you need to know about dynamics. You know, Taish Van Leer is an amazing artist is when it comes to, you know, how you basically loud and soft, you know, and, and the difference between. And that also leads to emotion that leads to the hairs going up on the back of your arms and, and you know, your neck and you're just getting tears in your eyes and all this kind of thing. Because, you know, if you see the guitar solo and eruption, you know, when they get to that moment, it's like, whoa, you know. And so we try and put that into the music. And uh, Steve is a master from that point of view that, you know, he can, he can build those things. We always build. We always find things that, you know, okay, we never start off with the, the thing that we're going to have at the end. It's always got to be a, a smaller version. Gradually you pull it through. So, I mean, for example, probably the biggest moment on the, on the album sound-wise is the end of Fortitude.
which is just monstrous, you know. I mean, and for the kind of kind of guys that we are, it, it all took us a bit by surprise, to be honest. But um, you know, it's. I, I think also the other thing you have to combine with this is melody. It has to be melodic, and so the melody has to mean something. Otherwise, what's the point of it being there, you know? And I think that's the beauty of having these great musicians is you give them the framework of the song and you say you have to fit inside the song rather than the song being beholden to you. So therefore, it's not about how well you play. It's not about how fast you can play something. It's about the song. Mm -hmm. And if you go over that edge, we'll take it out because we need it to fit in the song. Yeah. And I think that's you know, it's a very important thing. But then again, we are all kind of old. So, um, you know, it's taken a while to get to this point. <laughs> Fortitude has that lovely, um, like, sort of keyboard guitar harmony uh, sec, you know, kind of going on throughout this. It's, it's, it's a remarkable song. Do you have a favorite song on this album? Not really, no. Um, I think it will probably um, change, like, most, like a lot of people say to me, it just changes, you know, from month to month. They go, oh, now I really like this song, and then they go yeah. back to another song and whatever. And I think the idea is that uh, a bit like the albums from the 70s, and you know this probably better than anyone, is that they just kept giving, you know, so you'd go back to it and you go, oh, I didn't realise that did that or this, yeah. this, that went there, you know. You and find new things. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's why, you know, I mean, I get into a lot of trouble because we, as you said, we crowdfund and, you know, we charge £20 for our, our CDs. And somebody said, well, you can't charge £20 for a CD. So CDs are £9.99. I said, well, you don't go into a car showroom and they're all the same price. Yeah. You know? Now, I noticed the other day that some you know, Japanese um, kids album was more expensive than Stephen Wilson. You know, and I just thought, you know, we're, we're completely wrong with all of this. I mean, a CD should cost £46.50, according to inflation. But because Spotify have come along, you know, they've just dropped the value and dropped the value and dropped the value. And because radio doesn't really like, in, you know, dare I say in inverted commas, you know, the intelligent audience as such. Um, and I'm not saying all radio, I'm just saying certain parts of it. Um, this whole area of music has been put to one side and has been declared, you know, to have no value. And I find that terrible because how are you as a youngster gonna come through now and make a record and make a living? You know, you're not. So I do think all of us, all of us have to put value back into music and realize that it lasts, you know, I mean, I, I despair sometimes. I see, I mean, I went into the, the shop the other day and, and razor blades, you know, just some, a packet of five razor blades is like 25 pounds. It's five pounds more than, than our album. Yeah. Know? yeah. So why are you saying to me that what we're selling is expensive? I don't get it. You know, just don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard this. Uh, I've heard you talk about this topic before and, and it's, it makes perfect sense. You want to have, you want to bring value back to music, especially well-crafted music, and it, it, it's it's perfectly um, logical. I just wonder if do you, are you worried that that the cost will prevent some people from entry into uh, life signs? Oh, I think without a doubt, and I would imagine because we're not on Spotify album-wise and all that kind of stuff, so I would imagine people just download it free from you know some torrent site somewhere. It's mm -hmm. quite possible. But if that's what you want to do, and if you don't think it's worth giving money to the artist, then we're not really that interested in you anyway. You know, um, the people that have got behind us, the people who've crowdfunded us and got us to this point have been amazing, absolutely amazing. And we can't thank them enough. You know, I mean, 
we've built and built and built um, to the point now that we know we can make an album. We know we can get the money for the album. We know it can all work. And um, hopefully, you know, we've given everybody exactly what they want. And I think if you can do that, if you, if you can build that as a band and as you become like a family and the whole thing becomes like a family. Yeah. It's very hard. I mean, we're still building. I went to the Steve Hackett concert the other night in London at the Palladium. And yeah, sure, there's a few Life Science fans there. There's even the odd shirt, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but I sat in there. It's the third night at the Palladium of 1,800 people, you know, three nights sold out. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I bet every single person in here would love what we do. But I can't get to them, you know. Yeah. And there isn't a way to get to them. You know, there's no old grey whistle test. There's no nothing else. There's nothing that will push our cause. Because the thing is that everybody's trying to get to them. You know, so the, the, the difficulty is that they, they don't want to talk to anybody. They don't want to hear from anybody. They don't want you knocking on their door on Facebook and going, what about this? You know, yeah. so it, that's that's the hardest part. And if it's difficult for us, and I think we're probably in the, you know, the top division of the, the current new bands. Um, it must be really hard for young bands coming through and stuff like that. So that's why we need to put value. We need to find some way of putting value back in so people care about it a bit more. Yeah. Let's talk about the crowd uh, sourcing or the crowd crowdfunding project. When you go into this, do you have a, a minimum amount in mind, and 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 how long does it take typically to to crowdfund the album? Uh, not long. Um, we've generally actually crowdfunded the album within two to three weeks. In fact, the last two albums um, we hit our targets in just over twenty four hours. You know. Wow. Um, so that's the power of it. But, you know, in terms of other stuff that came in uh, and whatever, the main bulk of it probably comes in in the first month. But, yeah, we're amazed, absolutely amazed. But the thing is, we have to do that because it's the only way we can meet our targets. Everybody gets paid. We make sure that everything's covered. You know, we, we, we try to be as you know generous in our own world as we can. Um, because this isn't the day of, you know, Atlantic Records giving you a million dollars to go and have, you know. <laughs> um, and I, I, th I think it works, um, but the problem is that we all have to do everything pretty much in our spare time. So even like Cruise to the Edge and all those kind of things, it's all in our spare time, you know. And um, it would be lovely if it was the day job. That would be fantastic, you know. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I have, a, I have a gig too that I would like to have my day job. And I'm doing <laughs> it right now. <laughs> uh. <laughs> So I want to ask you just about playing music. When you play this life science music and um, you could do something like Cruise to the Edge or you have a, a, a tour in the UK, do you get more joy out of playing life science music than playing with, say, Bonnie Tyler, Scorpions, Asia, or is it just a different kind of joy? Well, you know, it's a difficult question. I suddenly see my, as we call it, our P45 in the wind because you've said you prefer. <laughs> but the um, yeah, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, probably 
when I was a kid, well, I, you know, I grew up with Genesis and, I, and I, the first gig I saw was uh, of them was The Land Lies Down. And I just thought that's what I want to do, you know. And um, Prog was kind of just about to leave. It was leaving. Um, uh, and I just thought, OK, well, if that's the case, you know, there's not much I can do about that. I'll have to go and get a job. So I went and worked in, in normal work for, you know, some years until... I got the opportunity to go on a world tour in 85. Now, I loved that. It was great. You know, it was the time of MTV and everything else. It was all just fabulous. Um, you know, I remember playing in California and that was with Uli Roth, my first tour. And, but the thing is you always love playing your own stuff, you know, and there's something special about doing your own thing. So I can imagine for all these artists I've worked for, it's great because they're doing their own thing in front of people and people know all the words and they love everything. But there's nothing like it for us. You know, we'll play, I don't know, the Half Moon in Putney and it's full and everybody knows the words. And to me, that's just the greatest experience ever. And, you know, when we go and do Cruise to the Edge, we surprise a lot of people because no, a lot of people never heard of us. You know, they don't know who Life Signs are. We can't get to America because the visa situation at the moment where it's $3,000 to get in or whatever, yeah. it's just too expensive, you know. And this needs to go. You know, Canada doesn't cost you anything. So it needs to change. And... Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think to sum it up, I love playing with the bands that I work with, but there's always something special about doing your own thing, for sure. Yeah, I hear what you're saying about the Visa thing. As a music fan in the United States who likes so many bands from Europe, I wish something would change on that, uh, on that front, too. It would be nice to have, a, for example, a Marillion weekend here would be great, but we got to go to Quebec. <laughs> yeah it's crazy isn't it i mean when you think of how music worked all those years ago you know when the beatles came across when led zeppelin came across when all that stuff happened it was such an open door for everybody to share such joy and beauty you know and now that's it's almost like artists are kind of mini terrorists in a way you know we have to keep them out and i, I just think that's terrible you know um it's i remember i came over just as this was all happening to do some solo shows I got stopped by customs, taken into a room, stood next to an Egyptian who was being done for gun smuggling. You know, it's like, I'm a keyboard player. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. a shame. It's It's been going on for years. So um, I, 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 I hear you, I feel you. Um, I, I empathize for sure. Because you want to reach your fans and you want to reach new fans, obviously. I, I wondered who, who, as a vocalist, inspires you or do you have do you have people that you know you sort of um adopt from their style or or, or you you kind of uh, enjoy their style so you sort of emulate it is there somebody mm. vo vocally that that sort of inspires you or is someone you look up to there's many vocalists that inspire me but most of them aren't anything like me um the thing is i think there's two kinds of vocalists there's the one like bonnie that, that they've been given a gift of having this voice that no one else has got you know so i worked with paul rogers for a couple of years and i mean it's just amazing you know i mean the guy's incredible and you know he can sing anything and he just goes uh, baby and you go that sounds amazing you try doing it you know it's just not going to work and um so in in that respect i suppose working with paul working with klaus minor working with bonnie at uh, john wetton obviously you know these are incredible vocalists i think the nearest i come is probably to something like john um because we're pretty similar he's he had a slightly higher range than i've got um 
I love Peter Gabriel. You know, I think he's amazing. Kate Bush is incredible. I think Terry Reid's amazing. If you want to start looking back into people that, you know, got lost as well, some amazing vocalists. So I wouldn't necessarily say, I find them inspiring, but not necessarily for what I do. And so I think probably my stuff goes back. I was head chorister at the cathedral in Liverpool when I was a kid. And I stopped singing when my voice broke, pretty much. And I think I kind of rediscovered it about 15, 20 years ago, um, when the JYB started, really. And um, so in the end, I kind of became the new me at that point, because mm -hmm. I remember there was a funny situation when my first album came out. We were in Moscow with Bonnie and uh, we were at this after gig thing. And Ed, John's brother, said, oh, well, put your CD on. So it was my first CD. So I stuck Life Underground on. And uh, Bonnie went, oh, this is nice. Who's this? You know, and, <laughs> and Ed said, it's John. And she went, who's singing? And he said, it's John singing, Bob. She went, but you can't sing. <laughs> and I remember that. that was just kind of the way that everybody saw it, you know. So, yeah, in the end, that was, yeah. Right. The reason I asked that question is because to me, and I may be way off base, um, or it may be coincidental, it when in the song Altitude, early on in that song, I noticed that you were phrasing your words in a way that I, I hadn't heard you do it before. And it, it was kind of almost like an early Nick Kershaw-esque type of, oh, of delivery. Okay. So I wondered about that. No, no. I mean, I know Nick and I know Howard Jones and those guys and, and whatever. Um, they're friends of Nick Beggs, actually, and he's worked with all of them. And I take that as a compliment because um, Nick's quite a big progger, actually. He enjoys, enjoys all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So no, I, I wouldn't necessarily say so, but I think each song demands a certain way of being interpreted. Mm -hmm. um, I can't really sing heavily. There are a couple of sections where I sing a bit more sort of in your face on the album, but that's not, I can't, I'm not a rock singer in that respect. You know, I'm more a storyteller, I guess. You mentioned The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, and I've heard you say that that's what got you into music. By the way, my listeners, if you're interested, I talked with Dave Kersner about The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway in episode 24, so go check that out. Um, <laughs> what else, uh, what else did you gravitate toward as a kid? Like, what, what was your, do you remember your first favorite song? Was it a Beatles song? Uh, no, strange enough, even though I'm from Liverpool, it wasn't the first thing I really, I, um, I think I had a Cliff Richard song when I was very small. And then um, Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys was probably the first thing that I went towards. Mm -hmm. And then I heard Frankenstein by the Edgar Winter Group, which I really liked. Because um, all of this was, you have to remember that through this period, I was working at the cathedral. So I just, all I had was classical music. You know, mm -hmm. that was that was all that was given to me. And then all of a sudden I heard all these bands and I started becoming the black sheep of the choir because <laughs> I'd kind of gravitated the wrong way, if you know what I mean, as far as they were concerned. And um, so, yeah, I think then what happened was I, I just went for everything. Initially, it was 10 years after, which went into Led Zeppelin, Queen. Queen was my first gig. I went to see them in 1974 mm -hmm. and they blew me away. Wonderful, wonderful. And then just really everything from there. And then a friend of mine who lives across the road at the time said to me, oh, you'll like this band Genesis they're playing tomorrow night. And of course, that was The Lamb. And I remember just being completely blown away by it. And, um, and then from there, I, I think I also started to gravitate towards other things. So I'd go and see Herbie Hancock and Stanley Clark on Weather Report, all that kind of stuff. And then that gradually moved on to Bruford and um, UK and Brand X 
which I adored all, all those bands. Yeah. I mean, on the last cruise, I just sat there watching Brand X with my mouth open most of the time, dribbling, you know, so it was yeah. just <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. I have to ask, when you start with The Lamb from Genesis, what goes through your mind when you go through the rest of their catalog? When, like when you <laughs> you went back and found some of their other stuff? Yeah, I mean, I remember John Paul saying to me, he liked everything from Abacab onwards. And I just thought that was quite fascinating because uh, John's John knows it all backwards. I mean, John can play you anything by anybody. Um, <laughs> uh, I actually came in one day and he was playing the lamb on the piano as I walked in. So, uh, yeah, even bass isn't even his first instrument. John plays bass, uh, but his guitar is his first instrument, plays keyboards, plays drums. You know, this is what I'm having to deal with. Uh, I feel quite, <laughs> feel quite inadequate in my own band, to be honest. Um, but uh yeah yeah it was you know i i think with all of that it was you know it is what it i mean people have these arguments about you know liking genesis and liking steve hackett i've seen it going on at the moment you know i just think oh, give them a break you know these guys you know you've been looking up to them for years and now you give them a hard time because they're old you know it's just ridiculous absolutely ridiculous you should be thankful that they gave you the beautiful music that they did and i see the same with yes to an extent you know um yeah, I mean, I I have purposefully not gone to the Genesis gigs because I want to remember them as I remember them. But it doesn't mean I hate them. It's just that I loved that energy that Phil Collins had. And I loved it with Gabriel. Um, uh, when I look at Yes, you know, I, I, I enjoyed 90125. I thought it was a great record, you know. Um, but I love Close to the Edge as well. So, I, you know, I've enjoyed all the, you know, as it's moved on. And obviously I see what's going on now. But it, it, it's kind of, you know, swings and roundabouts. Every Things that appeal to me don't necessarily appeal to somebody else. So I'm quite happy for other people. If, if we, if as musicians, we were doctors, we'd be right about things, wouldn't we? But we're not because mm -hmm. everyone has an opinion and every, every opinion differs. And it also differs with what music you take on board and what you learn as you go along. So, yeah, I'm, I'm open to all of it, really. Don't have a problem. close with sort of going back to the beginning a little bit when you talked about the the bet and and <laughs> and, th and not liking where progressive rock was going at the time in the early 2000s you mentioned that it's in a better place now what do you think of the newer prog and, and who like what are who are some of the bands that are sort of catching your ear these days all right now i have a little list here so if you'll bear with me for <laughs> this is no terrible problem. and i'll tell you some of the names that that do think because i don't want to leave anybody out i've even been to see some of these some of these bands and the thing is also you know we can't just look at it from the point of view of lots of us getting old we have to look at the youngsters coming through mm -hmm. and um so favorite new bands from from my point of view in no particular order and things that people like might like to check out. Have we got time for this? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, John Gom, guitarist, Soften the Glares, a nice band. Aristocrats, obviously. 
Tiger Moth Tales with Peter Jones, who's marvellous and plays in Camel uh, these days. Uh, Lazuli from France, Frost with the wonderful John Mitchell. Um, yes. Exploring Birdsong, who I went to see the other night. Sanguine Hum, who um, I think should be much better known. Southern Empire, Swan Chorus. Phil Lanzon from Uriah Heep has brought out some amazing stuff. There's a chap in, in your country called Bill Bresler, who does really good stuff. Uh, there's a band called Go Go Penguin, Caribou, uh, a singer over here called Samudu, a band I went to see called Noah, who, who are actually do actually work sometimes with Snarky Puppy, um, a band from Iceland called ADHD, who are just unique jazz band. Neil Angerly Trio. I mean, I've got to be honest, I've seen some keyboard players in my time, but Neil is the ultimate. And I'm sorry, you know, you can have all your, you know, Emerson's and Mirazes and everything else. And I mean, they've all got things going for them. Neil's amazing. Um, <laughs> Yonder Pond from Switzerland, Issen from Germany. I love Kenny Grohofsky's playing, who plays with Brand X, plays drum with Brand X. There's a band from India called Coma Rossi. Um, there's a band from Sweden called Dirty Loops, who cover current pop songs, um, but they do them in their own style and it's just amazing. John Poole's own band, Dowling Poole, are great. Conrad Schrenk Extravaganza is a good one that's gone missing. Dave Stewart and Barbara Gaskin are still doing some good stuff. Mm -hmm. um, Black Art Orchestra and Jump, who support us. The Moulettes, um, Lewis Cole, and oh, there's a few others, but I mean, that's that's enough to be going on with. This is how much good stuff there is around. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's true. And, and there's, and there are great bands that are doing things in the older style of prog that maybe haven't moved into the newer, like you know, I, I like when I say that I think somebody that does like pastoral prog, like a Big Big Train does, for example. Mm. You know, there there are a lot of bands that are are doing things in the same vein as the old, like the masters, the originals, but they're they're doing it their own way. So it's absolutely. It's, I think it's a great time to be a music fan because it's harder to find what you like. And it's harder to identify new stuff, but but there's so much more of it that's accessible once you know where to look and how to find it. Exactly. It's like a door opening to another planet at the moment, but people have to want to go through it, you know. Exactly. And that, that's 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 the that's the task ahead of us both. <laughs> no pressure, no pressure, Michael. No pressure. Yeah. John, where can uh, where can people find life signs on uh, the social medias? Well, we're hard to get rid of, actually, if you're on social media. We'll just annoy you. We'll stalk you. We'll be um, forever, you know. Uh, but having said that, no. You're we're really on, selling uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> we're on uh, www.lifesignsmusic.co.uk is where we have the store and the website mm -hmm. and all the details of everything Life Signs. But we're also all over Facebook and we have a YouTube channel and all that kind of thing. We're on Twitter. So uh, we're, we're very easy to find. Yeah. All right. Life Signs, the album is called Altitude. Uh, go to lifesignsmusic.co.uk. You can get it on vinyl, CD, and digital, and whatever platform you want, as many as you want. And um, John, <laughs> will sign it. <laughs> yeah, one thing. Oh, yeah. In fact, somebody said, why don't you do meet and greets? I said, because you'd probably get very upset that we'll just follow you around everywhere and, and you won't be able to get rid of this in the end. And that goes for all of us, actually. But um yeah, we adopt people quite easily. But no, going back onto the, um, the the music we sell, because we're very independent, the record label is our own label. Um, we actually have people um, distributing for us in the USA and in uh, Japan and in Australia. So if you order from our website, it will probably be with you the following day. It's not a problem. Great, quick, uh, quick delivery. You know, don't get sticker shock from the price. You're getting a good product. You guys have bundles for uh, 
people who want to catch up with your older albums too. So that's uh, a nice thing. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're learning as we go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, John Young, I've, I've had a great time talking to you about life signs, about the altitude album. I wish you the best of luck with it. Thank you so much for your time today. And, uh, we'll catch up with you again down the road. Thank you, Michael. Really enjoyed it. And thank you for your time as well. Michael's Record Collection is hosted and produced by Michael Citro. Logo graphic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's Record Collection on social media, at Mike's Records on Twitter, and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash michaelsrecordcollection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening.